0: Session with Dr. Farid
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310 441 555 uh, the book of the week for this week is The Black Banners Declassified by Ali Soufan. The Black Banners Declassified, How Torture Derailed the War on Terror After 9-11. Um, and I didn't realize the book was re-released and I have a newer one where a lot of parts that were redacted by the CIA are now apparently not redacted and are um, you can read some parts that are transcripts between uh, interrogators or the members of the intelligence community and terrorists and um, Ali Soufan was part of the FBI and and uh, outspoken about against torture or what is sometimes called enhanced interrogation techniques like waterboarding Uh, it's a fairly long book I'm about 30 pages in, I have more than 500 to go, so it'll be my friend ringing in the new year, but looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you on Monday's show. And speaking of shows, this is the last show I'll be doing in 2020, December 30th, so um, next time I'll be on the air with you will be 2021. And it's funny, I wanted to talk about time. And those of you listening to the show live will recognize that we started a few minutes late. So it's kind of funny uh, that I myself was not doing so well with time today. Uh, won't get into the details of being in the new building here at Radio Hamra. Uh, we're having some issues getting some things taken care of and situated before I could get on the air. But thankfully, everything's all worked out and resolved for the time being. Uh, but I did want to talk about time. So to begin with... One of the questions you're going to hear a lot from people these days, and you'll probably see lots of posts, is what are your New Year's resolutions? And people feel this uh, pressure in a way to have them. um, And almost we feel a significance, like there's some magical feeling. And there can be this feeling of renewal with any type of significant change like this. New year, uh, new months, even weeks, new, you know, going somewhere new, whatever it might be, we can feel the sense of renewal. Maybe not only just it's a new time, even though really it probably isn't, but uh, new possibilities. And even there's this classic um, thing we, you hear people say, new year, new you, which I actually don't like very much because I think uh, it implies somehow you need to change and be someone completely different. I hope we are always trying to evolve and grow. That's good. But to think you need to be someone else, I think that actually points to some problems. Uh, Usually what we recognize is what we want to do is to um, enhance the parts of ourselves. And even actually what people might not recognize as one of the signs of mental health is internalizing and being more, um, connected to all the aspects of yourself. So I, I might talk about that a bit too that I don't like New Year, New You. But, um, you know, New Year's resolutions, it's an interesting thing for me because people can emphasize this time to make new goals. But, uh, and, and if you don't have some, people might look at you funny or think, why aren't you planning to do something or having goals to do? Um, but really, uh, what someone could say is why are you waiting till New Year's to make your goals? There really isn't a significance to it and we can demystify it in a way not to mean that we make this less significant but we recognize the significance of all the other times we have in our lives that we actually can make a change or uh, do something different whatever that might be so I do think it's good to as although I'll talk about goals today and and some of these same themes uh, that I do every New Year's or around New Year's time but it's also good to recognize there's no reason why this has to be the time. And related to that, one thing I will say as you, if you set goals, I'm not against that. I think it's always a good time to set goals. Don't limit yourself just to this time, but it's not a bad time to do so. What's important is one of the things we notice is people say, well, people break their new year's resolutions within, you know, you'll see statistics a week, after so many weeks this many percentage of people have already broken them and I think although it can be good to set goals that are challenging and significant and important that mean a lot to you and sometimes that means doing something that would be difficult and requires consistency to be careful not to set goals that are so black and white that they disappear once you don't follow them perfectly so if you say every monday i'm going to do this or every day i'm going to do this this year what people often do is well they say well i broke it let's say by day six they don't do it anymore every day and they stop doing it all together well i broke it it's over and we all can have this black and white thinking, some of us more strongly than others. And so now it's we, we throw it away completely. But this is why I think rather than just focusing on goals as these floating ideas and ideals, we wanna look at the values that are driving the goals and make sure that's important as well, or that's part of what's driving us. Because if we're saying, okay, I wanna meditate more, and the way I'm gonna measure it is in this way, which can be good, um, we're saying that meditating more is good. So I want to do that more. So if I stopped doing it for a day or two, it doesn't mean now it's no longer good or significant for me. So that's something that I think is very important to keep in mind when you're setting your, your goals for yourself is to not get too caught up in the black and whiteness of achieving the goal. And at at times we can use it as an ideal or a destination we'd like to get to. And even if you don't get to it exactly, it can still be good. So if you say, I want to meditate every day, that would be 365 days uh, this year, uh, coming up year. That's great. Now, if you look back on the year and you said, I did it 320 times, I don't think you'd say that's really bad. You would still be very happy about that. So um, you don't want to make the perfect, be the enemy of the good. And so that if you don't achieve your goal perfectly, you don't do it at all. We want to be aware of what's guiding us in achieving this goal. Um, And we want to make that be the driving force. And so related to that, what I think is also important is not just to focus on setting goals that are concrete. That's very important. And every year, actually, I'll talk about SMART goals, and you can look up that acronym of goals that are specific, measurable. Um, attainable meaning like you they're challenging but something you can do um, relevant to you means something to you and time oriented or time specific so you can measure when you would like to achieve that goal I think it's very important to set concrete goals but I also think that this could be a wonderful time to reflect on your time not just in the sense of how we're aging or what's happening that can be part of it but how are you using your time And 2020, of course, has been this unique year so much so that you can just say that's so 2020 or, of course, what you expect is 2020 and it has a meaning to it because of the type of year we've experienced. One of the good things, though, I think that did happen this year is that it forced everyone to pause on a lot of things, usually not by choice, but a lot of things were put on pause and many things still are. And what that allowed us to do or in some ways it did force us but we had no choice is to really get a better look at how we spend our time or if we had a lot of things taken out what are we going to now do with our time and i know everyone wanted to learn three different languages and get a six pack and learn how to bake bread and do all these things and probably most of us didn't quite meet that um, goal or that ideal we set for ourselves but still people were looking at how they're spending their time One of the things that happened is people who lived with their families, husbands, wives, kids at home, were spending a lot of more time together. And of course, that could lead to more conflict. Anytime you spend more time with anyone, there's more opportunity for conflict. And also we start to get on each other's nerves a little bit more, the more we are around each other. But they also got to enjoy more time together. And so some people are recognizing Uh, as we have this rush to get back to normal, you know, everyone says that, oh, once things get back to normal or, you know, months ago, it was this, well, 2020, as if when the clock strikes midnight, everything goes back to normal. And now we're kind of seeing that that might not be exactly what we're going to get. Um, but people wanted to rush back to normal. And I do think it's a good time to reflect and say, well, what parts of my life were actually abnormal when things were quote unquote normal? that I don't want to rush back to. Maybe working 14 hours a day and barely having time to see your kids was way more abnormal than spending time at home with them 24 hours a day. There's maybe something much healthier and normal about that. So along with setting goals, again, I'm not against that, why not do it now? But I hope you'll keep that as a theme throughout your life of trying to work on things, improve on things and achieve things in your life. It can be also a good time to think about how do I spend my life and not only just look at it going forward, but imagine at the end of 2021, if you were to look back on the year, what is it you think that you would feel good about doing and not doing? Uh, I talked about this on Monday's show as I was talking about death. But when we look at our lives, what is it that we'll regret that we didn't do, which is usually what we regret more than what we did do, and make sure our year and then of course our life has those things in it. But if we're not intentional and purposeful in how we use our time, what I like to say is not that you're living your life, but your life is happening to you. You go to this thing, to that thing, you rush to that, then there's this and there's that and then... You know, after you know it, a week has gone, a month has gone, years have gone by, and you look back and you're like, did I really choose what I was doing? And whether or not we consciously do it or intentionally do it with purpose, we in in essence are choosing our lives and we want to make sure we choose wisely and that often requires pausing, reflecting, also going forward and trying to reflect back to see what kind of life you'd like to live. Now, the bottom line is, will we know? It's an interesting thing to consider. We can say what kind of life you'd like to live, but we don't know. Maybe 20 years from now, you'll regret choosing some of the things you did. I love the quote by Soren Kierkegaard, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We can look back and make sense of things and have the wisdom and we wish if we only knew we could go back, but we can only live our lives going forward and we have to make some decisions. Sometimes we can project forward and think back. We won't know for sure because our predictions often are wrong, but that's why I think choosing values can be valuable when it comes to this exercise. What are the things I want to have guide my life? What are the important things that I want to be a big part of my life and to matter that drive me forward? Usually having those values kind of serve as a uh, a north star, a direction to go towards, and your path in that direction might become more clear. But generally, if you choose the right values, values that align with you and that you feel good about, you'll feel good good about the the destinations you get to and as the old adage goes it's not just about the destination it's really about the journey you'll feel good about what you're doing to get there so we can reflect on our lives at any time but birthdays anniversaries new years these are times that usually put it more in the forefront of our mind which i think could be a good time to reflect on This year, your life, and also going forward, what you want your life to look like. All right, let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310 We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
2: Hello?
1: Yes, hi. You're on the air. Thanks for calling.
3: Oh, thanks. Yeah, so i would I would like to talk about photo reading mm-hmm. um, and it's an actual reading technique, and I would like to know if it's real or false doesn't work or not
1: okay That's so yeah, and so um I, I want to be you know full disclosure to listeners I actually didn't know that specific term and so we when we talked maybe for 30 seconds on the commercial break you mentioned it and i even googled it to to see what it was and so you know about a minute or two i was looking at it right now during the commercial break i was not so um familiar with that term you said photo reading um but speed reading has been around as a technique for a long time and my own research into looking at speed reading I read a book recently on how we learn to read that also talked about this a little bit um, it, it tends to show the evidence that it doesn't really improve your reading or we can say what you gain in speed you lose in comprehension so it's not necessarily bad in that way but to think that your reading just as deeply but much more quickly probably is not the case so when i even looked up a study that was done in 2000 as we're on the commercial break saying there was not you know the claims that are made by photo reading don't seem to be true and i remember when speed reading there were some uh, people who were selling different books and cds and their claims uh, were proven to not be true either so that being said i won't say that there isn't Any way of having techniques that improve um, our ability to read or that I've found the best way possible, I'm sure there always are ways to improve. I'm always skeptical of anything that's, uh, you know, making something way quicker or shorter. Usually, when things sound too be good to be true, there's a lot of times they are too good to be true. But since you brought it up, you might know. It seems you probably know more about it than me. What uh, What are your thoughts on it? What did you hear? And that might let us talk about it a bit more.
3: Sure. Well, actually, I heard about it about five years ago. I was um, stu- studying in university, and I heard about this technique, and I thought, wow, it, it could be cool to actually learn. Uh, tons of information in little time. Mm-hmm. So I went through the technique. I actually downloaded the book um, about, about it. About, and it's, the author is a guy called Paul R. Scheele or something in those lines. And he wrote this book, and I just read it, and I thought, okay, this, this should work. The technique is kind of awkward, so you have to take a book and gaze at the center of the, um, the pages, mm-hmm. not even at the text. You know and you have to just turn a page a second each second you turn a page and you would be able to later on activate this like you would be able to recall uh, a quantity of information that you have read mm-hmm. through this so-called technique and as such I was kind of uh, not too sure about this so I just gave up yeah and about A year or so I saw one of my colleagues do this and I was very astonished as to how does it even work and I I I got caught up again trying it but it still doesn't work for me so I'm kind of uh, what do I do so I thought about asking about uh, sure from from you you know
1: yeah I I think um what I know about also how we read and the way our eyes work, as much as, you know, I'm right now looking in front of me and things seem like I see a full picture clearly, but really the only part I'm seeing clearly is the, the in the center of the eye, the fovea, where there's more of the receptors, um, but other things around it are blurry. So usually if you're reading, even though when you're looking at a page you can kind of see that there's words on the whole page your eyes can only see a very small fragment of that and even some of the reading techniques i saw in that book i mentioned Um, I think it's called How We Read, something like that, that I read a couple months ago. It was saying there are these other, you know, there's speed reading, there's people trying to come up with techniques. Well, when we read, our eyes do, like, I think they're called saccades, where it kind of moves. It doesn't move smoothly. It moves in these back and forth kind of almost like twitches. Uh, in a sense. And how can we limit those? Maybe we could read faster, but it seems that we need those to read in some ways that it helps us in in some ways. So I am skeptical of these types of things where you're going to read a page and the idea, maybe I'll even talk about it a bit more uh, today, because it relates to something I've been thinking about recently, but that our our brains are kind of like these tape recorders. So if you look at the whole page and take it in, you're going to have all that information at your disposal. You just have to access it. And there's a lot of pieces missing there. One is we, we're not tape recorders that take everything in. Um, and and it, you have to really see something to take it in, in a way. Yes, sometimes there's subliminal things. You could say maybe you didn't really realize you were hearing something or seeing, seeing something, but you still were able to take it in. And if your eye couldn't focus on the words, I'm not sure how you would take it in. Now, I don't know what your friend's experience was, um, but one thing I can also imagine is if someone says, hey, there's this great speed reading technique and it gets you excited, that person might now read more because they're excited and so they're turning more pages and they'll get something. I'm not saying you get nothing. I just think you get considerably less if you're doing, I think you said one page a second. I It would be very hard for me, again, I always l- know that I can't know everything and that there's ways that people will advance things that won't make sense to me and then someday will be taken as a given. But to me, it's very hard to comprehend that someone could comprehend a whole page in a second and hold on to it. Will they get a gist of things? Maybe, and that could be enough and that's good. Maybe if they weren't gonna read any books at all and now they'll speed read or photo read a bunch of books of year and get some information from it. That's not necessarily, that could be very good. Um, But I think something is missed. Even, you know, audiobooks versus reading a book, there's some research. It's not so clear, but there does seem to be some loss in comprehension when we go to audiobook compared to reading a book. People do have different learning styles that might be better and easier for them. My experience is I definitely feel like when I'm holding the book in front of me, I get it a lot better. And there's lots of reasons for that from the visual is one thing, but also even the ways we can go back, it's a lot easier. You could go back in an audio, but sometimes I'm reading a book and it says someone's name and I'm like, who was that? And I can go up two paragraphs and see, oh yeah, there was that guy or that girl, and then go back. Whereas in an audiobook, it's harder. Usually you don't do it. Also, when you do an audiobook, although you can adjust the speeds now sometimes that uh, the way it comes out, you don't get to read at your pace essentially you have to listen at the pace of the person is speaking that itself has effect so but again if someone said because of doing audiobooks i'm now listening to books you know 20 extra books a year yeah maybe if they read them they would have gotten more out of them but the fact that they're just listening to those 20 books can be wonderful and great and maybe they would have read zero books and now they're reading 20 so i wouldn't say that's a bad thing but I still think that there's something that would be lost in the comprehension that has to be taken into account as you're you're figuring things out so I don't think photo reading my initial hunch would be it doesn't work and yeah. um, you, you know it's not something wrong with you it's something wrong with the claims that are being made so if you feel like oh why can't I get this and my friend got it my my, my hunch would be you're not going to get you know you're not you're not storing it's like as if it kind of sounds like a matrix type of a thing you know where you're just um <laughs> taking in all this information without having to do the work which is i think a lot of what we all it would be nice you know we could all um have a, a you know a very athletic looking body without exercising or doing one minute of exercise a day know everything just reading three minutes a day you know we're looking for these i actually sometimes have an aversion when i see like life hacks when people post all these things about hacking things i'm not, it is good to find more efficient ways to doing things of course and we're always advancing but a lot of times what i see life hacks it's really trying to take the easy way out of things and people are looking for them so of course it's going to get a lot of attention you're telling me i could read a book in 10 minutes okay i'll i'll check it out it's worth a try it sounds amazing and so it gets clicks it gets uh, people buy the books that you know sell it's funny I wonder if you s- photo read the photo reading book will you still be able to photo read I don't know that would be an interesting kind of meta uh, study yeah. that we can do on, on that topic but um, you know I, I think we have to be very wary of that and even going back to my previous segment about time um, it, it's an interesting thing of course we get finite time and it makes sense uh, one of the hardest things in life I think is balancing everything we want to do you know we have so many things we want to do but we have limited time and so how do we make that work so it could be understandable that we're looking for shortcuts but we have to be very wary I think and skeptical at least going in uh, of that Yes,
3: Um, I have another question sure yeah thanks it's about memory palace does that work or is it again something? to be
1: Skeptical. With? <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, I won't. I won't sound like such a Debbie Downer and such a skeptic. But by memory palace, um, I'm assuming you mean the process of trying to mem- remember things by the method of loci. I guess it could be also called. Yes. Um, it is and that. I forgot. Was it not? Is it Cicero? I forgot who is said to have come up with the memory palace. Um, it, but basically, the the story goes that there was this um like a, a greek i think it was greek you know it was yeah, either it was greek, greek or roman yeah uh, maybe you know the story better but and and the building collapsed there was like a wedding party and they're trying to figure out who was there that i think died in the wreckage and this individual was able to um you know walk through the place essentially in their head and remember who was sitting where and then you know recreate that and so it became this a mnemonic device or memory technique where you could then remember things by, uh, you know, using a location you're familiar with and putting the objects. And now sometimes that that takes another type of mnemonic device to get yourself to do that. Um, I couldn't remember the word mnemonic. That's kind of ironic. Um, So using those mnemonic devices to help you, I actually... Um, I, I have to be frank with the listeners. I read this book a couple of years ago called, I think, Moonwalking with Einstein, where the individual trained to be in these memory Olympics. And one of the main ways they did things was using these types of, you know, memory palace or you find your own location. And I was trying to learn how to memorize a deck of cards in any random order using the techniques they had. And I got okay at it. I think I got to like not under five minutes, definitely not. I think I got close to eight, nine minutes where I could look at the deck of cards and then not look at it and then go and tell you the order of the 52 cards in a row using that memory palace technique where you imagine different images along this path um, and then they become clear to you and then that helps you remember things in a particular order. So, and even I think people that memorize Pi to like a thousand digits, they very often use things like the the memory palace to do that. So I, I know I started going off on it a lot, but what were your own thoughts or questions about that?
3: Well, my question is, I've actually tried it, and I actually wanted wanted to apply it to studying. Uh huh. Um, but I've got a hard time to apply it to text, you know, because it's like law and it has tons mm. of text, and you can't really just. I mean, for me, it's pretty hard to put it in, a, in an image way so I would like to know how how you hmm. do, do it which which uh, location did you take
2: yeah
1: to yeah do it? well at the, as the locations go of course everyone picks one they're familiar with so for example I would think of my house and I imagine first parking my car in the garage and then the door next to the elevator then in the elevator you know I, I picked these different I think I had like 17 18 different spots um, so this place has to be of course somewhere where you know very well. And I do think certain types of information lends itself better than others to these types of techniques. So I know people who train in these memory Olympics, um, they say that you can do it for almost any kind of information, but I could see how law might be harder. Now, maybe, I don't know if you're, are you studying for the bar or what is this for? Or in law school?
3: No, no, this is actually for real estate. And oh, okay. In my country, we
1: have tons of law. In I see. Yeah. But that, that often is the case. Yeah, there's lots of laws you're going to have to learn for those things. Sometimes they might be able to, you know, different elements. Like, let's say, you know, your front door is the laws for whatever one aspect of it for escrow or something and you could have a way of putting them there in some visual way that makes sense for you but it can be i think a lot harder for certain types of information the deck of cards is very easy because you for example will say i even remember i think the 10 of hearts for me was leo messi my favorite soccer player who wears number 10 and the heart was because i i like him a lot or you can say love him and so that was my way of remembering that that was him and so Part of what you do is imagine him, it's complicated, but there's three parts to every image you have for every card and you combine them. But anyway, so you know you have these visual images that make it a lot easier to remember like a deck of cards. It might be harder to make that same connection to use that, that memory palace. There are different techniques that might benefit you, different mnemonic devices, because really when we look at memory, um, You know, we say, well, how many things can you remember? Like if I ask you how many letters you can memorize in a row, if they are random letters, you could probably do like somewhere between five to nine, maybe 10 if if you don't have a lot of time. But if you know all the lyrics to a song, essentially that might be thousands of lyric uh, letters in a row that you would be able to say because they have meaning. So because we can break it up to chunks that have meaning, or one big chunk, um, it's, that's how our memory can make sense of something and remember things easier. Or when we look at a chessboard, I, I sometimes like watching people who play chess. I'm not very good myself, but I'll even watch videos online. An uh, amateur chess player versus a, a very skilled chess player, they did some studies and they found that the when it came to a, a chessboard that was meaningful, meaning that the, it could be a real game, Um, The masters were way better at remembering than the novices or people that don't play But if it was something that was very haphazard and really wasn't relevant to actual chess playing the way the pieces were arranged Then I don't know if they were not much better or weren't even better than average people because now the pieces really didn't have meaning in the way that they make sense of it so when we try to learn something um, or memorize something making meaning of it is very um, important in helping us remember um things so you can see how you can make them memorable. Repetition is very important. Um, I read a book a while ago. It's funny because we've talked about reading again, it has a meta feeling. I think it was called How We Learn, and I had some good techniques. Maybe it was like Benedict Carey, something like that. That was the author's name. Um, I had some good techniques, and you can look up some things that'll teach you, for example, how to space out your studying. Um, You know, you want to not just study one thing for like, let's say a week and then go to the next thing. The more you mix it up, the better. It makes you feel uncomfortable because when we stay within one realm of information, it's easier on us. But that discomfort is actually going to help you learn and a bunch of other techniques that you you might want to try. I can see how the memory palace might be harder for something like the law you can find online, maybe someone has some ways that will kind of make it translate better for that. But, you know, I would say look up some things. And at the end of the day, it's going to take a lot of time, no matter how you do it, you can find some ways to make it better and easier, but I'm sure it's going to take you a lot of time and it's going to take everyone a lot of time. So if someone tells you, I learned that all in, you know, two minutes and it's taking you two months, they're probably not giving you the full story. So um, hopefully be easier on yourself in that sense. And, you know, good luck. Good luck with that test.
3: Thank you very much, doctor. This this was so mind-opening. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're so kind. It was so nice talking to you. Thank you for your questions. Have a great day. Happy 2021. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. welcome back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to another caller radio Hamro, you're on the air hello yes hi thanks for calling
4: yeah thank you uh doctor i have a question it's about my family Mm -hmm. i'm a divorced father i have uh two kids uh 18 and 15 and um uh my divorce was 10 years ago and then i moved from the state that uh, my family were to another state and then i Uh, after a few years and since then my kids were living with their mother uh their mothers uh uh she's an american Mm -hmm. and um in um all this year i have had connect with uh, my kids going there visiting them not as much as needed and now um i want to know uh i know they They got some damage because of the divorce and because I wasn't there for them all day. And I need to know now uh, uh, what can I do for them now that she is 15 and my son is 18. Mm -hmm. What can I do for them to do something about the damage that they got and they help them to have a um, better future because uh, now my son, uh, he's like, he's 18 but he's like a 13-year-old boy. Uh, he doesn't have that many friends. Uh, most of the time, he likes to be inside the house, playing games, not be outside. Um, uh, my daughter, uh, and in, in, in school, uh, she's not good unless I put pressure on him.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And he does something. And uh, my daughter, she's good at the school, but this year she has problems because of the, everything is online right yeah. now. She has some problems with her uh, classes and she uh, felt some of them and she said she kind of concentrate. Um, I want to know um, as a father what can I do to, um, to I don't know, do something for yeah.
1: them Sure I mean even in your voice I feel a, a pain um, about about that and the pain might be part worry. Um, part maybe some guilt or not a good feeling about, like when you talk about this exactly. damage that exactly. is done. Um, and so I, I definitely want to give you what I hope will be some more practical advice, but also what I think is important in almost anything we do is looking at our mindset. Well, tell me how, I'm not sure if I heard how you're doing right now, but what are you feeling right now talking about this?
4: Hmm exactly like what you said a mm-hmm. uh, partial of it is guilt
1: yeah. and,
4: and the rest of it is
1: worry about it sure and of course they're very uh, intertwined those two feelings because um, you know you have a guilt of what has happened and your contribution to what's happened and potentially hurting your kids or the damage as you put it and then you're worried of what that becomes and the bigger that becomes you might feel like your guilt will grow of well i look what i did or look how i hurt them and of course that makes you want to stop it which is a good intention of obviously to want to help your kids love your kids if there's any damage repair it but the reason why the mindset can be important is that if we focus so much or if the guilt is driving our actions too strongly then the motivation can become more about your guilty feeling even without realizing it, rather than your kids being okay. So the way I see this play out with families a lot of times, whether it's with divorce or whatever it is, just parents in general, they see their kid going through something that might have been caused from what they've done. And that makes them feel so guilty that, of course, they want things to be better, but they can do it in a way that puts a pressure on the child You need to be better because you not being okay makes me not feel okay. It makes me feel guilty. And so because of that, even parents will respond with anger. Oh, okay, well, you're still depressed, whatever. It's your your, your fault. You want to be depressed or you want to do this or, you know, you're doing this to yourself because we can't handle and tolerate the guilt we're feeling. So we have to find some way of getting rid of it. And oftentimes either it's pressure put on them or the blame put on them or some kind of judgment on them. So you need to be mindful of your guilt and how much it's fueling what you do with them in multiple ways, including from what I shared, and also trying to do too much too fast. So you're trying to make up for it. So you know you see, okay, I hurt them. Let's say you did something 20 different times, and you want to fix it all at once. And that feeling itself usually doesn't let the healing happen and might even open up some new Wounds. Um, so I've shared some thoughts, and I have obviously some more to share. But I want to hear what you already think from what I've said so far.
4: Um, th- that's exactly. Um, I was, uh, and I wanted to do too many things, and mm-hmm. the reason I call that because I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or right, or if it's enough or not. And um, I wanted an expert, somebody mm-hmm. like you um, tell me what's the best thing I can do because I have heard, uh, when, uh, Dr. Holakri, senior, they were saying, uh, like, uh, for example, kids, when, when, before they are 18, you can do something as a parent for them to, uh, but when they are 18 or past, it's done. You cannot do anything, uh, for them as a parent. But, uh, like I said, uh, my son is 18 and he, he acts like a, he's 12, 13 years old boy. Mm-hmm. His personality is like that.
1: Yeah. And my daughter's fifteen, so. <clears throat> so, and let me say a few things. Actually, you know, you mentioned that he's still twelve or thirteen. Of course, there could be some things specifically about him that makes him that way. Also, when kids go through traumas or pain or any of us, we can sometimes um, stay stuck in a certain age, a type of arrested development. So, it could be that. He stayed stuck in that age that you're describing and you know, you can look at that. Is there something there or it could be just his personality or aspects of him as well. Um, Now, you know, going back to what you're saying about, well, up to a certain age, you can have an impact. Yes, of course, the type of impact, the amount of impact we can have on our children will change over time in multiple ways Um, when they're babies zero to one there's some things that you can never change again in some ways but you can still work on things after the fact and i work with families where people in their 50s are apologizing for things that happened maybe 10 years ago or 40 years ago and it has a big impact so i don't want you to think well things are done and damaged beyond belief Has the time passed? Your child is now 18. We can't go back to when he was 17 and do something, but we can do a lot now still. And of course, that's where you want your focus to lie with what is still in your hands, which is the present and going forward. And there's a whole lot you very likely can do. So I I don't want you to think that you've missed your opportunity completely. The window is closed. Um, You know, you almost need to give up. Not at all. There's so much I'm sure that you can do. And, and you know, your kids, until you're hopefully, you know, live a long time and be with them for a long time, you always can have an impact in, in their life as a relationship. Yes, when they're 40, it'll be different than right now. But still, you as their father will always have that possibility to be the best father you can be to them. And that's where we want your focus to lies. How can I, you know, help these things um, with them? Um, and the reason why I mentioned about trying to do too much too quickly is what parents also do in a similar vein is they do a blanket apology not just parents people will do that you know what i I did so many things wrong in the divorce so many things so i'm sorry and then in a way we think that's going to you know give us blanket immunity for everything that happened in a period of time which might have been hundreds or thousands of different type of instances. And it doesn't mean necessarily we have to go into each single one of them, but especially some major ones, it very well will be important to go into them in detail. And the reason why we like the blanket Apologies, it's quicker and faster relates to what I was talking about with the previous caller, a type of life hack, so to speak. But um, also, we don't want to face the individual one. So if you just say, you know, I'm so sorry, I did so many things wrong. Um, I'm sorry for those things. That is hard and that would be very valuable still, but it's going to be a lot harder to be. I'm sorry for that day when I did this thing. And then you're going to have to face it more clearly, face their pain more clearly and that's going to be a much harder conversation to handle and tolerate but a much more meaningful one when it comes to healing the past we can never change the past but we can definitely have a big impact on healing the past especially especially the most uh, rapid way the most efficient way i know i was just talking about life hacks so it might sound like i'm contradicting myself but in a genuine way the fastest way to heal a pain an emotional pain is for the person to hurt us that hurt us to apologize to us. So when I'm in therapy, I have people coming in and we're working on the pains from the past, but I do know that if whoever had hurt them would apologize for the ways they got hurt, that would lead much more quickly to healing those wounds than any work I can do with them. And now that opportunity isn't always available to people for multiple reasons. The person might be dead, which makes it in that way impossible, or the person won't do it and might even make it worse if you go talk to them. So you might need to deal with it on their own. But in this case, you're the one with this great power, but really responsibility that you can help heal these wounds that you may in some level have contributed to. I don't want to say blame completely on you. Usually things are complicated, but you probably contributed to in some significant degree. So you have to be ready to have the conversations and only if and when they want to have them too of addressing these things. Because another aspect of being fueled by the guilt is you might force the conversations when your kids don't want to have them. And that would be about you, not about them. So it's only if and when they want to have these types of talks would you have those talks with them but we do have to be ready to to talk about some things that i would imagine you don't want to talk about it it would make sense that it's going to be painful and that's why it'll be good for you to first come to terms it doesn't mean your emotions are going to go away but that you don't go into the conversation too uh, animated in the sense that your feelings might become the biggest part of the conversation not what your children are feeling which is really where the focus should lie
2: mm.
4: um in a few conversations i had with them um i i, I don't know, maybe i would try to uh, explain uh why i left uh, left them and uh because it was the reason um, my action was uh, giving them this hope that I'm going to go back and uh, live with their mom and be together. And they were, for a few years when they were younger, they they did push a different way. Even until the last year, they were telling me, hey, Dad, you can come here in this state and you know, stay with us, and uh, you can I don't know, you can have a start over here again and all this. And I said, no, I can't. Mm. Uh, I'm much older now. <coughs> and it's not easy to start from uh, from zero again, and I cannot move back there. Even until a year ago, they were talking like this, and they were hoping that I can go back there. Right now, mm. uh, my daughter moved here. She's living with me, my son. He's still with his, uh, uh, with his mom, and is living with his mom. And um, right now... Um, I'm just confused. I don't know where to start. And
2: mm-hmm. um, yeah, what well,
1: w- w- we can you know we're at a commercial break, and I do want to to continue the conversation on the other side of the break. Um, we will definitely talk about it. But one thing we'll also realize is we'll come up with some ideas, some things to think about, and even some techniques to a degree. But a big part of what's gonna happen or what will be the best path. It, your children are going to be the guides when it comes to this healing, meaning that it's not just you're going to dictate how it goes because what they want, what they need, what they're ready to deal with at any given time, that's something only they can tell you too. So a big part of it will be you taking their lead to a degree, but showing an openness to do so and an openness to, to have the conversations that, that might be needed. So let's go to a commercial break and we'll talk, talk some more afterwards, okay? Sure. All Thank right. you. We'll be right back. Back uh before the break we're with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, so uh before the break you were sharing about um current situation you're in. I believe your children are fifteen and eighteen. Divorce was two years ago. Um and you're
4: no no oh. divorce was we separated ten years ago and divorce was uh, three years after
1: Okay, well, maybe I miss. wait, three years ago, and then, so six years ago you separated, or I'm not sure if I got that?
4: Oh, no, well, we separated 10 years ago, and then uh, when my kids were five and eight, and then uh, we divorced three years after, that mean, we divorced seven years ago.
2: Oh, and, okay.
4: And then... Uh, I moved
1: out from then, like seven years ago I moved out. I see, okay. That, that actually, yeah, I'm glad we clarified that. I, might, I must have misheard you um, the first time around when you were giving the, the dates and things. Okay, so it's been a longer type of um, uh, separation or at least the divorce has been longer. I meant separation between you and the kids is longer and so these feelings might be older as well. And also with your son saying he feels you feel like he's kind of stuck in a younger age again it could just be how he is and we don't want to make sh- cl- seem that he has to change but there could be some level of him uh staying a little bit stuck to some degree okay so yes. that gives be better when
4: oh I'm sorry. No? When, when, when we were separated i i was seeing my kids almost uh, every week but uh, since i moved moved out from the state then i couldn't see them as often before
1: Okay. So, you know, I did ask you this in a way, but if, you know, what is it that you, you, because you mentioned the guilt is there. What do you feel guilty about?
4: Um, Because um, they had problems, um, uh, their mom had some problems. And um, most of the guilt uh, tells me why I wasn't there when they went through all those problems in their life and, um, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't there to help them
1: out. Okay. Um, obviously only whatever you want to share, but what were those, what kind of problems are we talking about?
4: Um, uh, uh one of the, one of the major ones was that their mother had a drinking problem
2: mm-hmm.
4: and, and, uh. Later on, added some like anxiety problems and stuff like that. Hmm. But uh, she she quit um, almost uh, three years ago. She quit and uh, the, the two or three years ago she quit and she, she doesn't have that problem and she doesn't have a drinking problem anymore. But she has that ex- anxiety problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay um and so and it was was that related to the separation and divorce also any of these factors
4: um yes okay uh, she, uh, she, she started uh, uh, she started after the, uh, the separation yes. the, it was it, she had that problem before but we were together it was like a control ball. We were around. She wasn't doing uh, getting drunk and stuff like that. No, she was drinking, but Mm -hmm. she wasn't getting drunk like that. But uh, things were separated and and
1: divorced. It got worse and worse. I see. Okay, it's you know it's it's complicated these things because you know you leave a marriage if it's not working, but then you're saying you feel bad leaving your kids in that situation or and maybe it got worse and it, it's hard to say well did it get worse because you were no longer there not necessarily but you know what what's the alternative that you would have just stayed even if things were really not working that could have that could have been bad in its own way so you know these things are complicated but we're, we don't want to focus so much just on making a case I don't want you to feel so guilty but I do want you to be aware that when you talk to your kids we initially want to start from a place of apology or being sorry rather than cr- setting up our case, eventually you'll get to that point and they'll, because we want them to understand why you did what you did, but any apology that starts with, I'm sorry, I did this, but this is exactly why actually what I did was not wrong, won't feel like much of an apology. Taking another step back before we can even have these kinds of conversations, what has to be there or what's important to look at is the relationship you have with your kids. Because we can only have as intimate of a conversation uh, as the relationship itself uh, can handle, meaning how close you feel with one another. So let's say this is not your case, but if someone told me they haven't been in their child's life since they were a baby and now they've shown up and they want to have some super deep conversation, the relationship might not be able to withstand that. And and so we have to be aware of that. So how do you feel about your relationship, your closeness with, with the two of them? I think you said your daughter is now living with you. Yes. Okay. So, what's what are those relationships like?
4: Um, it is so good, actually. Um, during this, uh, during the like last seven years, for example, whenever I go there to visit them, and we had some uh, argue, uh, me and their mom, and in those argue, they were taking my side, and even um, I, I have a really have, I do have real good. Uh, relationship with
1: my kids
2: that they I can't say they love me uh-huh. okay and then so it, it's a good relationship
1: okay I'm, I'm glad they they love you and I know um, you know things are not ideal always but you know that they're taking your side in fights is not the it doesn't sound so good that they'd have to do that but I guess they're gonna have a feeling about the fights you and their mom have so you're seeing that at least they're at some level sympathetic to your side which, you know, it's hard It's hard to give a full judgment on what that would mean. But you, seem, you feel like there's something there. So uh, along with the apologies, or really in a way part of the apology, is to continue strengthening your relationship. Going back to your earlier question, or really in some ways motivation for the call, was how do I make things better with my kids or minimize the damage? The overall thing we're trying to do is create a better relationship or the best relationship with them that you can. And that involves being close to them as close as they want, of course, Um, being there for them, spending time with them in ways they want. All those kinds of things will also be very important. Uh, So going back to this, if the guilt is driving us, we might too quickly try to have the conversations because we can't handle it when the kids are not ready or the relationship is not ready. and, And we have to be mindful of that as well.
2: And uh,
4: what can I do for my son? Because, like I said, my daughter, she's 15. She has a goal uh, for her future, what she wants to do with all this stuff. But my son, I can say, uh, he doesn't have any goal. Right? He's like He just likes to stay home all day, every day, play games. And, and that's it. And it, it, like I said, uh, he doesn't have too many friends. I can say he may have one, clo- one uh, close friend. Okay. and uh, rest of his friends are the people online that he's playing games with mm-hmm. but the person who go uh, go, like a, go to his house or he comes to his house and play game is only one person not more than that how can I help him to motivate him to have a goal for
2: his future do something about it
1: yeah well again you know not to sound like a broken record because I was just talking about this um rather than just looking at is how do I get him to X, the thing you can do or the only way you're going to help him anyway is through your relationship with him. So even if we look at advice, for example, when people think, well, I want to give good advice to my son or my daughter, what's even more important than the advice you give is the relationship you have with them because if you don't have that where they feel connected to you, they feel like you understand them and you, they feel like they can trust you, It doesn't matter what advice you give. Even right now, you called me. I'm very grateful and honored for that. But at some level, you're going to value what I have to say. If you were just walking down the street and some, you know, guy came up to you and said, do this and this and this with your kids, you'd be like, you wouldn't even listen to them. Even it could be good advice, but you wouldn't hear it because you don't have that trust in them and that relationship with them. So in wanting to guide him again, rather than focusing on how do I get him to where I need him to go? It's going to be first through your relationship with him to connect, and then there might be space for advice or uh, you know seeing. First of all, you even want to see how is he? Maybe he's okay. You might have some assumptions of what his life should look like that he might not want. Socially, you know, we social life is very important. Um, but really, how we measure anything is the person experiencing it. If he actually likes it genuinely then it could be okay if he's not happy with it then let's see how if he he needs any support from you you could do that but again the first place you're going to help him the most is by your relationship with him which then will open up more avenues for you to help him uh, if that is possible
4: and is it right that they are separated now and my daughter is with me and my son is uh, with uh, his mother is it is it? I think that we did because my daughter wanted to come here
1: stay with me because of the problems that she had with her mom. Well, uh, I, I mean I don't uh, off the bat it doesn't sound ideal, but we we um can't force something to happen. So it's not that okay. Well, that doesn't sound right. Now you immediately send her back to her mom's house or you make her brother live with you but i think it's worth resolving it and this might even be some entryway of creating more closeness of of you know co-parenting with their mom and figuring out what to do and what's best for them um we want to give her that space that she can come to you but we also don't want to be like well if you're having problems with someone you just leave and and go away from it especially someone like her mom who likely she'll want to have a relationship with continuing so um as much as it might feel nice for you understandably that she's coming to you and you can have that we do want to evaluate okay what's the best thing for her what makes the most sense uh, and likely that's going to be a collaborative effort between you um definitely her your daughter and and her mom of figuring out what's the the best thing we can do so i would look at that very closely
4: Uh, If she, for example, if she say, okay, I want to stay with you um, for the rest of my uh, teenage years. Mm Is it okay if I say, yeah, yeah, she can stay with me or I have to, like, guide it the way that she goes back because she's a girl. She goes back and stay with her mom. Which one is better?
1: Yeah, so I would definitely give her the the feeling and and not just give it to her because it's not true, but that you're there for her so she can stay with you as long as she wants. But that you also want to look at well what's going on between her and you know her mom and and i want us to see that so it's not an either or of okay yeah you're just going to stay and that's it or no that's it you have to leave the house tomorrow but let's look at what what's happening that you don't want to live with her anymore um because that's that's going to be to me even more important than just what's the exact right thing to do now because i think the lesson we want to teach her is that we don't leave now actually as i'm saying it there's interesting that they might feel like you left in some way um when the going got tough and that's not necessarily what happened but there could be some even modeling of that well i can't handle mom anymore so i just move away and that's how i yeah. deal with dealing with the, her
4: the main, the main thing that she said she says my mom when I, well, I did ask her that question uh-huh. and she said because she was mad and pissed all the time Yelling and getting our ar- uh, ar- uh, not an uh, argue. yeah, mm-hmm. argue. not a physical you know, yeah. So, yeah, she was getting, we were getting a fight and argue all the time. She was mad and pissed all the time. That's why she said I wasn't feeling comfortable being there. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to come here and live with you. That's, that's
1: yeah. Which well yeah and i would definitely you know uh, you have to obviously keep a balance because you want to co-parent at some point too so you don't want to throw her mom completely under the bus but you definitely want to empathize with her that that yeah i could see how uh, that was upsetting or that was really hard and you know um that, that, that you didn't that, want to that, be that. there
4: like, that's exactly what i told you about, Great. That the reason your mom's acting right here is because of anxiety problems that she has because too much pressure on her i mean uh, having two kids and living mm-hmm. by herself, all these, because these are the reasons that she was acting like that. It's not that she doesn't love you or she does it on purpose,
2: mm-hmm.
4: because of all these reasons, that's why she's acting like that. That's, what it, that's the way I explain it. To
1: yeah, you. which gives her some perspective of her mom's side, and, uh, you know, the other side is making sure you uh, empathize with her, that I could see how this was. You know, that is hard for you and it's been tough and you don't know how to deal with it. And, and yeah, even with uh, the, the pandemic, I don't know when it happened, but, you know, you've been spending more time together. That can make it harder. We're having more opportunities to argue and, and all of that. Um, it, it's not to push her or pressure her, but you can ask her, though, long term or what does she want? You know, and, and we get that she's really hurt by her mom or maybe she doesn't even know if she can be close to her mom. We're not going to force her to be close to anyone uh but it could be something to explore with her what does she she want to do so like i said i wouldn't just focus on does she have to move back or stay with you but really looking at this bigger picture of her relationship with her mom and what she she wants to do with that because i you know them being apart it it, I have some concern they're older now but even still and most importantly is how they feel about it even how does your son feel about it of course if your son says no I want my sister living with me that doesn't mean he can dictate where she lives but it is something worth we're talking about as a family if that's something that can be done these conversations are, are tough um, but I think they're important to have how long has she been living with you
4: um, almost uh, seven months
1: seven months okay so i mean you know a little bit into the pandemic it seems like um so which was I think a ton-
4: they had this problem before sure the
1: pandemic. yeah i'm guessing i'm sure uh, uh, things were there it maybe just came to a head with even more you know lots of the pandemic put a magnifying glass on a lot of issues both individually and interpersonally, you know, in our relationship. So maybe this added, you know, there's too much of that closeness and too much of uh, they they didn't have space from each other. And so she wanted a lot of space, you know, living in a different place. Um, So I think it's worth looking at and talking with her where long-term what does she think with her mom? And she might still be inside. I never want to, I don't know where she's at, but as far as mentally, she might say, I don't want to talk to her ever again, or I don't want to live with her ever again, or I don't, whatever it might be. Um, but we can have that conversation. What is their relationship like right now?
4: Right now, they talk over the
1: phone.
4: Mm-hmm. Almost every other day, she calls her or she calls um, mm-hmm. her daughter and they talk. Sometimes they can argue for some reason for when they're talking about something. Example for what, when they're talking about the school, they can argue again. But, uh, but it's much better than when she was living.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: Because I believe before, it was all the time, every single day there was argue about something. But right now, most of the time, they're just talking to uh, over the phone. They're talking so nice uh, to each other, talk about different things. And often, sometimes,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, you know, having space um, they maybe living together might be too hard for them or there's you know ways they'd have to figure that out. So I'm not saying that's the only option that's there, but this is creating a very big opportunity for co-parenting for you and their mom to work together on this. And so I wouldn't put the pressure solely on you to make this decision because it's not really just yours to make. Uh, most importantly, it's your daughter who was who, choosing where to live. But you and her mother, I think, should be trying to figure this out with her, not in a kind of way to trick her or figure out what's best for her and then make her do that, but that you can work together on this. Um, and as I was saying before, one thing you have to be aware of is, yes, yeah, she came to you, which is is great, but your own feelings might want you to want this closeness and want to take it without looking at the bigger picture of what's the best for her long term, and I'm not saying sadly, that's what you're, yeah.
4: Uh, sadly, their mom doesn't do this. She doesn't work, work me, with me yeah. about anything. She is she points finger at me all the time for all the problems that she had had in her life before, after divorce, all this, and uh, even in front of the kids, always she's talking negative about me, even to the kid. Mm.
2: So.
4: It is not going to work. It, I did try too many times. Okay, it didn't work. She doesn't work. Me. When I say something, she said, "No, you don't understand what you're talking about. You don't know. You haven't been here. You haven't go through everything that I went. So you don't know what you're talking about. You were single, having your good life. I was going through all these problems all these years, and
2: she's pointing finger at me. All
1: yeah. The time. Well, I mean, um, I, I obviously you're the one that is dealing with her knows what she's like. But, you know, in having a co-parenting conversation, it it hopefully doesn't come into finger pointing because you don't even tell her what she should do and she's not telling you what you should do, but you talk about it together. And so even if she told you that, uh, easier said than done, and I know you have your own feelings, but you're right. You were with the kids more than I was. You are right about that. I'm trying to figure out how can we together do what's best for our kids because we love them. You know, it's not just about what i've done to you and what i've even done to them in the past i want to know what can we do for them now and and i'm not saying i know for sure you can have a conversation like that with her or you can uh do something but you know we need to keep trying because that's the only thing we can do is to to co-parent you are essentially co-parenting is just how much you're communicating and connecting and working together and we want to try to make that as much as we can you know a stronger relationship because again for the kids so she yeah she'll point the finger she says it's all your fault actually even whatever she's going through it's all you she's not even mad at me she's mad at you okay you know she she might throw that at you um and all of it is not on you. Some of it is. I'm sure it is. Even some of the anger they give to her might be from you. That's possible. Um, but again, your focus is how do we do what's best for them now? And no, hopefully...
2: I, I, believe,
4: uh, I believe I've done some stuff wrong. I believe I'm guilty about some stuff. But uh, I told her, I said, I believe all this. I know what I did or I did. Maybe I don't know what it is wrong but I'm sure I did too many things wrong. I'm guilty about too many things. But the point is like you said, I told her, I want to talk about the kids, what we can do for them. But she doesn't
1: want to live. Yeah, well, it seems like, you know, either she doesn't want to go there or she's too angry to go there, or, you know. Um, so I don't know how how to deal with that, her anger to then get to the, the work that you need to be done for the kids. I would hope you keep trying, obviously, for the kids and even for yourself, because if you get to a better place with that, you'll feel better too. But ultimately for the kids, you know, there has to be some level of working together. Um, yes. working together there yeah you know uh, I do have some other callers on, on hold and we're at a commercial break so maybe we'll wrap it up here for now I'm sure there's a lot for you to think about but would be happy to talk to you again in the future
4: sure, sure. Thank you, Doctor. nice
1: talking to you take care have a great day yeah, bye-bye Bye. all right we'll go to another commercial break we'll be right back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to another caller Radio Hamra you're on the air
0: um, hi doctor um, as we previously talked during the commercial break I <laughs> was um, telling you that uh, I have made some drastic changes in my um, life habits within the past year which were positive positive. But um, it was it was good for a while, but recently it has gone take me back to that feeling of being uneasy and uncomfortable in my own skin, okay. as I had that before. And um, even though I've made those changes and they've been very challenging, but still I have that feeling of anxiety, being um, not enough, and you know just being uncomfortable uh-huh. in my own skin.
2: So.
1: That's why I called and I wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking in a way about New Year's goals and, you know, sometimes it's like some surfacey type of things that might be meaningful, but you're talking about something much, much deeper, how you feel about yourself, as you said, feeling comfortable in your own skin. And when we don't feel that, the anxiety and uneasiness that comes with that, which can be really debilitating in a lot of different ways. Um, One thing I'll mention before we get into it is that those types of progress in those kinds of domains, although we'll talk about them as being long lasting, it doesn't mean that, let's say, once you feel more comfortable in your own skin, you'll never feel uncomfortable again, or you'll never revert back to that. In some ways, it's like if you're trying to change your posture, how you walk, Um, You know, with some conscious effort, you might get yourself to walk more upright and straight and good. And you feel better about it, but when you get tired or stressed or you don't pay attention unconsciously, you might go back to that old way of walking again and you have to remind yourself. So it's not exactly the same, but there's a similar theme where you because you likely have felt this way a lot of your life. There will still be a tendency even if you feel like you've overcome it to go back there at some times now if you go back there less and if you go back there less severely that's still huge progress it doesn't mean you didn't make any progress this year or recently in that domain um, but it's just something to be aware of because how we measure our progress is very important You know, if we measure how much energy we have, we say, I shouldn't sleep anymore. You're going to feel like you're doing a really bad job and maybe, you know, you need to sleep every night. So those are just some thoughts I I wanted to add before we get a little bit more deep into it. Can you tell me more what you mean feeling comfortable in your skin? What did you do that you think helped? Um, Yeah.
0: Sure. So maybe I should just give you like a little bit of a a background Mm -hmm. of where I come from and um, how everything started. So um, I'm 34 years old. Uh Uh-huh. And um, I grew up in Iran, and I moved here a few years back. And um, I got—I moved here for my um, education, and um, I graduated and started working. And um, uh, the problem started, like I—I I mean, my background in Iran is not—that's not, um, not how uh, to put it. Well, uh, my dad had an um, alcohol issue, mm. and he died of the disease of alcoholism, and. Um, Uh, Up until I moved here, I never drank, never, because of the um, experiences and all the heavy lift that his drinking had on our life. But then, um, and I didn't drink while I was in school. I graduated. I was in my class, everything great. I got a job I wanted, and then the job started, and when the job started, I, I had some tension in the job, and it was stressful, it was not the perfect ideal environment that I had um, thought of, um, and then with that, for stress relief, I started drinking here and there,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, that drinking progressed pretty quick, into becoming binge drinking, um, drinking a lot, more than enough, and that, that kind of took, took a toll on my life, and started hurting me in every aspect of my life, mm-hmm. so, but the, the amount of time that I was drinking was not that long, so it wasn't like... Was maybe a year, a year and a half, but I, 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 right away I knew that there's a problem. So um, last year, when I started, is just I changed my lifestyle completely. I stopped drinking it overall. I started more getting more into spirituality and um, self-awareness techniques, and you know, meditating and all of those um, tools. I started using those more often, and I did make drastic changes in my like eating habits, um, my um, lifestyle. But then, what happened is that um, I still have that weird, really bad feeling that I get a lot of the time. That, that feeling of not being enough, not being easy, mm. not being um, happy within my own sense. Mm-hmm. So, and I think about it and I, I come to this conclusion that, first place, I started drinking because of this feeling. Mm-hmm. And now that I've overcome that obstacle of not drinking and all the problems
1: in my life, and I have everything that I always wanted. How come I'm still having that same feeling again? Yeah, and and are are you still using alcohol in that same way?
0: No, I I stopped
4: drinking um,
1: completely. Okay, so yeah. you know, I hope you recognize again. Well, I was talking about progress. Can maybe we don't see it as strongly as it is, but that's still a huge gain. Now. I don't know how you're coping with things now, or if you're using other, you know, sometimes people um, might find even a worse type of addiction, or at least something different. But um, that is still a lot of progress that you're making. And you're you're right, it's an interesting cycle, even with addiction in general, we'll feel a feeling of shame or feeling down, and we might drink or whatever we use to cope with it as in our addictive cycle. And that'll actually make us feel worse. And then so the cycle continues, because now we feel worse, and our Easiest way of dealing with really intense bad feelings or even good feelings sometimes, but especially the bad ones is to turn to that thing again. And so it creates this really nasty cycle. Now, thankfully, you did some very hard work in breaking that cycle so that you don't go to alcohol to deal with that. Um, But still, when you have these feelings, you get surprised they come up. It's going to be hard, hard to deal with them. And first and foremost, I would hope you give yourself compassion that you still have these feelings come up more than any kind of judgment of why do I still feel this way? You know, I've overcome this. What's wrong with me? Or I should have, you know, been over this by now or doesn't, you know, doesn't make sense. You know, the truth is it never made sense. Even before you've done all the things you've done to work on yourself, you are still worthy of love and you are still worthy of feeling good in your own skin and lovable and all those good things. You already deserve them before you made any of those changes so it never actually made sense and that's why even making these changes doesn't necessarily mean that feeling goes away because it because it wasn't a logical type of feeling it wasn't based on just logic or you know this is what i deserve or don't deserve it was a feeling and that's what also makes it so hard to change because it's deeply in you and it comes up in a way that just feels like something is a truth or a reality when it isn't based on that. You know, so I talked a bunch and we're about to get to a commercial break. I do want to hear some of your thoughts. And what we'll likely do is talk uh, after the break as well. But what do you think about some of the things I, I brought up so far?
0: Um, I, I do um, agree with you that this feeling of like having compassion for yourself. Just, um, I'm very hard on myself, always happens mm-hmm. like that. And when I think about my life and what I've been through, I think being hard on myself in some aspects have been useful to my life because I learned survival skills and um, coming from the childhood and the family that I come Mm -hmm. from, if I didn't learn those survival skills, I wouldn't be where I am here today um, in terms of um, where I stand in society and the person that I am in terms of education, work, and all of that. But Mm -hmm. then comes along not giving myself enough maybe credit at
1: times yeah feeling
0: being too hard on myself that also comes
1: with it yeah right so and I, I understand what you're saying yeah and this is a you know what all of us are dealing with is we you know we're brought up in a certain environment and we find a strategy to survive that environment hopefully it's a, a more safe and secure where it doesn't feel like survival but a lot of times it's survival like you said and that might serve us well then but then we're no longer in that environment but we still use that strategy it's as if you you know we're in a war so you're used to carrying your gun and being on alert now the war is over and you're still carrying that gun because it's felt like that's the only way i survived that's the only way i can live and so it's possible that having some of that toughness that harshness might have helped you then but it more than likely is only gonna be hurting you now. And even when it comes to pushing ourselves, doing good things, sometimes we think we can only do that if we're hard on ourselves. We have to give that only tough love, that almost it could be judgmental type of a, okay. what feels like love, but we actually can push ourselves Even harder, we can do better when we come from a compassionate approach. And compassion doesn't mean no matter what you do, it's good. There's nothing wrong with anything. You won't judge it, but it doesn't mean you see everything as equal. You actually will see because I love myself, I want good for myself. I want to take care of myself. I want to do these good things, right? Not because I don't want to be a loser or bad or unlovable, but it's because I love myself and I want even better. So the way I make this distinction is, you know, in one instance, we're running away from a nightmare. In another instance, we're running towards a dream, Running away from a nightmare means I don't want to be a loser or unlovable or all these bad things. And that's always going to be stressful and never really feel good. But if you love yourself and you're going towards your dreams, that can feel quite good. You feel good as it's happening and you feel good about where you're going. And it can feel very different, even though on the outside we might see two people working hard. What's driving them might be very different. So let's go to a commercial break, but we'll we'll talk for a few minutes after that. Okay.
2: Okay, great. All right. Thank you.
1: We'll be right back. Welcome back before the break. Ruth the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Um yes, I'm all here. right. So, um, you know, you were talking about the growth you've made in this year, but at times seeing that you feel like you go back to your old ways and you in a way get surprised by that. And we did touch on a bunch of different topics from tough love to compassion and, and how loving yourself might seem like at times not the way to keep progressing, but I would advocate for that, that actually loving yourself and being compassionate could actually help you get to where you want to get to. And first of all, realize where you are right now is already good and good enough to be to be loved. Um, you know, you mentioned about your father and him being, you know, having alcoholism. Um, and so of course we know there's a big genetic component to addiction and especially when it comes to alcohol. Uh, I was actually messaged during the break by someone saying it's something like 40 to 60 percent. But I don't quote me on that. That's kind of taken from their quote um, of that statistic. Um, what also can and of course, there's the modeling, all of that plays a big part. What I can imagine happened in your case as well is you probably saw that part of him and didn't like it. And especially to see some of that in yourself must have been difficult.
0: I, I literally within the time that I was drinking, I became the same thing that I despised of my father.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The mm-hmm. same thing that I always said, I preached about how it destructive. It was. I came, my father, within a less amount of time that for him it progressed within years. For me, I think it was progressing pretty much faster.
2: Mm-hmm. So, I, I, uh,
0: it was kind of like your worst nightmare coming through. Yeah. You know, and um. That's what happened to me. And I would think I would be surprised in how I could despise something and then I would be doing the same thing over and over
1: again. And that's not a good feeling, but one that we often experience in life in the sense that, not necessarily exactly what you said, but that we don't want to do something or we tell ourselves something's not good and we keep doing it because usually we have an issue or issues or specific things we deal with and those are usually the things we battle a lot of our life. Um, Someone who's anxious might get anxious a lot. Someone who has anger issues, you know, and so here for you, not only were you facing your worst nightmare, you were facing the worst monster in your life and seeing yourself what you felt like was becoming that monster, even though it doesn't necessarily mean that was what was happening. Um, And in some ways, we can see this as an expression of our shadow so we all have parts of ourselves or very often especially if we have certain experiences in childhood of what we see in our parents and what we experience in our lives that we put away and we don't want to ever see so there are probably parts of your father that you do have being his daughter um, that you never wanted to get in touch with but that were there and so when they started coming out you might have felt like that means i am him or as bad as him or whatever those judgments were and especially if you weren't uh, fully in terms, which I'm sure it was hard to be with everything you're describing with him. Um, when that was coming out, I'm sure it was very, very challenging for you to, to see that now you are this thing you didn't want to be. But I hope you can see that that pattern is so common. People have an abusive parent, not to justify them being abusive to their kids at all. But we do see that, unfortunately, abuse does beget abuse or aggression does make people more likely to be aggressive, even if they personally experience how painful it was to be the recipient of it. So another aspect of that compassion is realizing not that you should do it or we want you to do it, but we can understand it, you know?
0: Exactly. So I saw, um, because I was the eldest, Mm -hmm. and... um, I saw how it hurt our family. I saw I to till to this day we're still suffering from the effects of his mm. drinking. And what amazed me was how I was going down the same pattern. Everything similar. Exactly. What he did, I was going down the same line, even though I saw within my own eyes since I was I remember since I was like around four mm. years old how his patterns and behavior was ruining our family and hurting us as kids ruining my mother as a wife as a woman and the toll I put on her and that mind you we grew up in Iran the burden that it put on our family mm. and what I was struggling to understand with my own behavior was how come I saw all of those and I'm still going down the same line
1: as he did yeah and, and part of it is that first part of that that uh, sentence because you saw all those things it, it can make it more likely they happen we would think I saw how bad it was, so I would never do it. But in some ways, whatever is more familiar, even if it was familiar in a painful way, we're more likely to go towards it. So you you have the genetic part also, which is huge. And I do want you to recognize that doesn't mean you're destined to it and anyone is destined, but it can play a big part in that. Um, But the fact that you saw it, it's just like how people get attracted to people who have the negative qualities of their parents um, and it could seem so strange, but there's something familiar and something that feels like home and something that feels that that's where the love is. Even if the love was also laced with a lot of pain, and even it could be abuse, if that's where we received our love and safety, even if it didn't feel so safe, but it was safer than being outside of that home, well, it could make sense that something about that will still be drawn towards it. Or you never really could resolve his drinking, maybe there's something that you wanted to resolve it through yourself in some unconscious ways as well so there are many factors that can push us in the direction of destructive behaviors and especially the ones that we've already seen the type of destruction they can cause and even felt that pain Uh, and that could be very surprising but it does seem to be this peculiar thing that we see time and time again in people's lives so i don't want you to to go through that again but when you tell me you've gone through it I'm not so surprised that it can be understandable that even though you saw how bad it is too up close, you still got yourself in that situation.
2: Yes, that's true.
1: Yeah. So coming back to this, what do you think you did? You mentioned some things about, um, you know, being more on a spiritual journey, taking care of yourself, but what have you done or what do you think you did recently that really uh, and i guess uh, stopping the drinking was a big part of that as well but what do you think you did that helped and worked for you
0: um in my case i went deep into my background without even to, um being try try to put denial aside
2: mm-hmm. i
0: tried to not lie to myself and be as realistic as i could with my past and my life and my life choices and my decisions and um Uh, When I was truth to my soul, I realized which parts of my life I've neglected. Mm. Um, What I did for my health, well, for my well-being, was just studying, going to school, working hard, getting the outside pretty. Mm -hmm. So that I didn't work on my soul. I didn't work on my well-being mentally. So that soul inside me was crying for help, and I didn't pay attention to it. I Mm -hmm. thought... By looking healthy meaning looking good in society when you get the attention you look healthy and you're doing good but I was deep inside I was suffering mm. and that's what I was not paying attention to and I think I let go of that because I got too caught up in um, getting other aspects of my life um, getting like done and you know because I mean migrating to a new country yeah. All those other issues that I went through. So there were other stuff that came before me thinking about my mental health. Mm-hmm. And what I did, I set a specific time in my life every day to go back and work on... And being honest, stop stopped lying to myself. I was lying to myself a lot. Huh.
1: Well, what was... Well, well, and, you know sometimes we think we're going to go in a cocoon and fix everything and then come out and do everything and usually we have to do both at the same time so we work on ourselves internally but also we can start doing more loving things towards ourselves you know taking care of ourselves if we can get that to happen and that could also make us feel loved too and both can work in a parallel process together and strengthen each other if you had to look at you know you're saying i was lying to myself was there a theme or a certain lie that you realized you were telling yourself?
0: Um, you know, it's really easy to throw a pity party for yourself and that's what I was doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, just poor you, your dad was like this, poor you, you went through this in your life, poor you, you did that. Instead of being honest with myself and knowing the negatives of what I've been through and the positives that were there to allow me to be where I am today, just being true to what i've been through i think Mm -hmm. helped me a lot instead of just uh, feeling sorry for myself and just coming up with reasons on why i'm doing something destructive to my life
1: interesting yeah you know this uh you said pity party and there's a a distinction that it it can be a a thin line at times of what where is genuine compassion and giving ourselves understanding and where is their pity and it's not always so clear because When we're feeling hurt, we do need some time to deal with that pain and feel it and and give ourselves empathy and compassion and and recover from it. But we don't want to just stay in that pain either. And it's not a set thing that we can say it takes three weeks or one month or because there's so many different factors of how much the pain is, where you are in your life, how much support you have, all those things. But at some point, we do want to try our best to see if we can see our pain and say, okay, I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but I am responsible to, for what I do going forward and what I do with the pain that I've even been given. Easier said than done, it doesn't mean we'll just go in a straight path towards progress, but there is some level where we wanna take that responsibility for our own lives because we're the only ones who are responsible for them. Um, but it's sometimes not clear because we can still get into that judgment space of, well, it doesn't matter if this happened, it shouldn't affect you. And it's not always so clear. So it could be, uh, as I said, a thin line and one that won't be always obvious which one we're doing because we might judge ourselves. Let's say, you know, someone was abused by their parent and now they have a limp. They were physically abused. For them to be upset with themselves the rest of their life that they limp would really be unfair. The limp might be there. Now, maybe. can still be physically active and find ways to do that strengthen themselves that would be good and so emotionally we can sometimes have the same type of a thing we may be wounded in ways i talked about this monday not necessarily everything that doesn't kill us makes us stronger some things do leave wounds that do have effects and sometimes we overcome them and become stronger but sometimes they can impact us in in a negative way that might last and so it's finding that balance of Um, giving ourselves the compassion and love that we still did go through that. It doesn't mean we're a victim in the sense that we have to stay small or weak or wounded and can't move forward, but that we might still have those scars and they might pop up here and there. And hopefully we can still have that love and compassion for ourselves if and when they do. And I hope you can hold on to that as well, that you're not necessarily throwing yourself a pity party if you recognize that there's still some effects there
0: yeah your your talk made me realize like one of the things like exactly as I did for my growth was I I realized I've never dealt with my dad's um, disease and death
2: Mm. so
0: one of the things I did I sat down and I came in terms and I forgave my parents for all their mistakes I had so many so much like I had resentments towards my mother towards my dad and those were unsolved and i what i did was i would brush them away all the hmm. time all my life because um other things came along in life and they were more important to me at this time so i brushed them away and i never came in terms with my parents and the resentment that i had towards both my parents yeah i think that played a huge role in me getting into the destructive pattern and also coming
4: in terms with them kind of helped
1: me a lot too. And there's, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on that and I feel like I'm like now brushing away when you're bringing up these really important feelings, but we are at the end of the show. Um, but okay. there was a lot there that you talked about that in and of itself could be the topic of shows, of forgiving our parents and how to do that and the complications that can come up with that and when's the right time and and there's a lot there. But I, I do wish you the best on that journey that you're on and I will. I hope you are loving to yourself on the path and enjoy the journey and also the destinations you get to but thank you for your call wish you all the best thank
0: you so much doctor have a great day
1: thank you bye-bye all right that brings us to the end of the show a big thank you to ghazala here in the studio as always and a happy new year to everyone look forward to seeing you and being with you early in 2021 you've been listening to in session with dr Fadi alakwi have a wonderful day